became evident yesterday that Pastor Kevin was under the weather and that it would be helpful for me to step in and preach. Two things occurred to me. The first was that the material I have to work with from, uh, work from is the uh, sermon I preached last week, last Sunday in Regina. And that those of you from Regina who are here, who heard it last week, you're going to be subjected to some repetition. But the other thing that occurred to me was uh, what Paul said to his readers in Philippians 3 verse 1. And he said, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that what I have to say is commensurate in stature with the writings of Paul. But I am saying that if something is worth saying, it probably bears repeating. And, uh, and so even though the thoughts I'm sharing are for the most part coming to you, who were in Regina last week, as a, as a second hearing, I encourage them, I encourage you to turn them over in your minds as you listen, and I pray that they will be a blessing to you. Last week here in Weyburn, Pastor Kevin preached on Matthew 7, verse 12. The sermon I preached in Regina pushed a couple of verses further, so you know, two verses further into chapter 7, verse 14. So I'm going to say less than I said last week about verse 12, although I will touch the uh, since there was a lot of overlap between our sermons, but I will touch on it briefly. So let's start by looking at our text. Our text is Matthew chapter 7, and I'm just going to read the three verses, 12, 13, and 14. Matthew 7, beginning of verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. One commentary I have read suggests that the teaching that Jesus offers us in verse 12, what we might think of as the golden rule, that teaching brings to a close the main thoughts that he is communicating in the Sermon on the Mount, and that what remains in chapter 7 deals with how we are to respond to all that he has taught. And I, I think that there's merit to this. I think the commentators onto something there. He's right. In the early part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the citizen of the kingdom of God is described as one who is acutely aware of his spiritual poverty in the sight of God. Such a person mourns over the guilt of sin, deals with the burdens of life with meekness, and hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Mercy, purity of heart, and peacemaking are a part of his life. Persecution for righteousness' sake is to be endured with the confidence that a kingdom of blessing awaits in God's good time. Yes, here is Jesus speaking to those who would aspire to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. He has spoken of what, it, of what characterizes such a citizen. He has spoken of our role of salt and light. He has affirmed the value of the law and shown that the law is in fact more exacting than we realize. He has assured us that God is our loving Heavenly Father, but that we must be much more concerned about His evaluation of our works than that of the world around us. He has taught us about setting our hearts on the things of God and trusting Him when we face things that push us in the direction of anxiety, 
He has instructed us in rendering a judgment and about how to bring our needs to him in prayer. And he has summed up all his teaching by showing that our integrity of the citizens of the kingdom will be demonstrated by treating others as we ourselves would want to be treated. And having said all of this, Jesus issues his call. Enter. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is hard teaching. Think for a moment about the fact that these verses come immediately after verse 12 in the text. The golden rule, the idea of treating others as we would want like to be treated, is something that most of us were probably taught from early childhood. This is what Kevin said last week. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it's popular to say in today's cultural environment that this idea of reciprocity can be found in most all of the world's religions and that one need not be religious or even believe in God to hold this as wise, as, wise, as wise advice. Would this not suggest that Jesus' teaching here is not narrow, but wide? But, on the other hand, why is it that so many would give lip service to the golden rule, but the, the majority of people fail to live by it? Why is it that even those of us who are inspired by its lofty ethic fall so short? Why is it that we fall so short? The gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This may not have been true before Adam and Eve rebelled against God, plunging the human race into thin sin and death, but it is certainly true now. I'm going to say something really important about the human condition. And what I'm going to say does not constitute an excuse. This is not something that we can use to dodge our responsibility, but it's something that we really have to take into account if we're going to find life. As sons and daughters of our first father, Adam, we bear the consequences of his rebellion and sin against God. In a very, very important way, our hearts are, by nature, hard toward God. It is not too much to say that apart from God's intervening grace, our hearts, our spirits, are dead toward God. We may all nod in approval to the idea behind the golden rule, but what motivates that nod? If, when we look at the golden rule, we think of it essentially as the idea that what goes around comes around, it may well be that our nod toward it is motivated by self-interest. 
Now, such self-interest, perhaps enlightened self-interest, calculated in this way, is not wicked. But neither is it particularly virtuous. It is simply a reasonable response to the realities of life. But falls short of that to which the scriptures call this. Jesus explicitly taught that the greatest commandment was that we love God with heart and soul and mind and strength. God himself is worthy of our greatest devotion and it is according to our response to him and to his ways that we will ultimately be judged. In the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible we find these words. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our love for our fellow human beings is in, in an important way a test of our love for God because our fellow human beings are bearers of his image. We may have all sorts of very good reasons for treating one another well, and I'm sure glad we do. But if behind all of this there is no deep-rooted, life-shaping love for God and for his ways, we are not on the path to life. By the same token, if we, make, we might make grand grand claims about our love for God, and we might give our assent to all sorts of things that are true, but if these things do not end up being worked out in love for neighbor, we're still only deceiving ourselves. The gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. When I speak about how Jesus is at the center of any hope we might have of finding the way to life, I frequently cite what Paul says in the first chapter of Romans. I'm reading Romans chapter 1, and I'm reading verses 18 to 20. Romans 1, 18 to 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We bear guilt. All of us bear guilt in regard to this reality. All of us have failed to honor God. And the consequence of such an, an offense against our Creator, against
against the good and righteous God, against the infinitely glorious and holy God, is the consequence is the consequence is infinite guilt. Jesus Himself is at the center of any hope we might have of finding the way to life. Yes, in the midst of all of this, there is hope. There is a path that leads to life. And Jesus' command to all who will listen is this. Enter. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it. There are many ways for us to imagine ourselves as virtuous. But there's only one way to deal with the guilt we have already incurred for our failure to honor God as God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, which Kelly read for us, Jesus says something that is pertinent here, even though he's using a different metaphor. I'm going to reread again uh, verses 7 to 9. So Jesus said to them, Truly, I truly, 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 I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And again in the Gospel of John, this time in, in the 14th chapter, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, where does Jesus fit in this matter of having our guilt before God dealt with such that we are rescued from the wrath and the destruction that the scriptures say very clearly that we deserve? Not one of us has escaped incurring this dreadful guilt. The scriptures teach that Jesus is, in fact, God incarnate, God made flesh born into this world by the Virgin Mary. The scriptures teach that Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness, such that he of all human beings did not deserve death and wrath. But he willingly suffered the cruelest of deaths, the horror of a Roman crucifixion. He was treated as a criminal. But because he had no sin of his own that would have warranted such treatment, he was able in this to bear the sin and wrath that, to, to, to bear the sin and to bear the wrath that was due for all of us who would ever repent and trust in him. He endured and exhausted the righteous wrath of God that would otherwise rightfully have fallen on us. He died and on the third day rose to life demonstrating his victory over sin and death. And all who truly trust in him are granted not only release from guilt, but a judicial standing of 
righteous before the most holy God. Because Christ's perfect human righteousness, his perfect obedience to the law of God is credited to them, is credited to us completely out of mercy. Enter. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I am confident that many to whom I am speaking this morning have found the narrow gate. And have entered and are walking in that narrow way. Let us acknowledge that the way is hard. Certainly, we are recipients of God's nurturing and sustaining grace, and that is a rich, rich treasure. But it remains true that until we enter the age to come, the way is hard. And if you're not particularly experiencing the edge of that hardness right now, just wait. Now, I don't say that to discourage you. I don't. God will be your strength. And will grant you, in his time, the courage that you will need. But, forewarned is forearmed. The scriptures even use the metaphor of warfare to describe some aspects of what it means to walk in the way of Christ. Many years ago, Isaac Watts penned a poem, and it appears in our hymnal. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me unto God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. Bear the toil, endure the pain supported by thy word. Some of these struggles will be tied up in our relationships with others. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had your hearts almost ripped right out of you. You know is hard. Some of these struggles will be interior and deeply, deeply personal. In regard to some of the struggles, the world will scream at us, no, don't struggle there. Simply yield to the inclinations of your heart. When we know that there are, in fact, inclinations of our heart that are at odds with Scripture the righteousness of God. Yeah, some of these, these interior struggles are going to be among the most challenging. 
Some of the hardness of the way will include loss and with it deep grief. Do not be afraid. Know that Christ has walked this path before you. The, the, scriptures, the scriptures describe him as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he has not only walked it before you, he will walk it with you. Do not be afraid. Some of the hardness of the way isn't simply dealing with what happens to come your way. Some of the hardness of the way comes from embarking on a trajectory of faithfulness and obedience toward God. I'm talking about actively undertaking and embracing actions and responsibilities that it would be easier just to leave to the side. I'm talking about initiating things, things that you know are right and good, and things that you know will honor God and bless others, and things that you know might cost you everything. Yes, that is also where some of the hardness lies. And I know that I am talking to people who know exactly what I mean. And let us not leave our brothers and sisters to fend for themselves in the midst of hardship. While there is an important sense in which every man must carry his own burden, we have a deep and solemn responsibility to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, let me address anyone who will ever listen to these words I am speaking, whether now or later through the recording. Let me now address anyone who has not come to grips with the truth that the way of life, the way to life, is narrow, and those who find it are few. It is popular to say that there are many roads to God, and that people are basically good, and if you just do your best, you're going to be okay. That is not the teaching of Jesus. Jesus says that the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Jesus is making an exclusive truth claim. Such a claim is deeply offensive to the modern ear. Jesus is saying that the only way to, to escape destruction is to put your faith in his teaching, his person, his work. This is the scandal of historic Christianity. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
you may aspire to live to a high moral standard. That is good. That is good for you, and that is good for the people around you. I am deeply, deeply grateful for the number of people around me in my work, in my community, in my extended family, who even though they would not acknowledge and embrace this exclusive truth claim of Jesus, nevertheless they aspire to live lives that are honorable, that are good, and that are in very important ways beneficial for the people in the world around them. These words may describe you, and if they do, know that I thank God for you. It is one of the wonderful gifts of God to this world that he has in his mercy caused the hearts of many, many people to be to a significant degree inclined to living honorably and living morally. And he has not limited this to those who would explicitly align themselves with Christ. And it may be the case that in choosing to live morally and honorably, you have indeed made sacrifices. Your choice to live this way has been costly. Nevertheless, there's been a sense of satisfaction that such sacrifices, such costs have been worth it because you know that some things are right, even though they're not easy. Give thanks to God that he has given you the inclination to walk in this way. But understand that a moral orientation does not constitute the path that leads to life. The path that leads to life has an important element that deals with the fact that we are both bearers of the image of God from which comes this wonderful, honorable impulse, and at the same time, bearers of guilt corruption, guilt and corruption that reach to and stain every dimension and facet of our being. Guilt and corruption that can only be dealt with through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Guilt and corruption that unless dealt with by the way God has provided will ultimately lead to our destruction. Enter. Enter by the narrow gate. But the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are good. You are gracious. And those of us who are putting our trust in you understand that you have not dealt with us as our sins deserve. You've taken away our guilt. You've clothed us with the righteousness of Christ.
Christ. And although you call us to walk in a way where we will receive hardship, challenge, and difficulty, yet that way is temporary. For what you have promised us in the age to come is life and blessing and the joy of eternity in your presence. Are good. Help us to trust you. Help us to be patient when courage seems to be a long time in coming. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And we pray in the name of your glorious Son, 